Book Three, Chapter Twelve, of the late Mister Jonathan Wild the Great. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Dennis Sayers. The late Mister Jonathan Wild, the Great, by Henry Fielding. Book Three, Chapter Twelve. New instances of Friendly's folly, etc. To return to my history, which, having rested itself a little, is now ready to proceed on its journey. Fireblood was the person chosen by Wilde for this service. He had, on a late occasion, experienced the talents of this youth for a good round perjury. He immediately, therefore, found him out, and proposed it to him. When, receiving his instant assent, they consulted together, and soon framed an evidence which, being communicated to one of the most bitter and severe creditors of Hartfree, by him laid before a magistrate, and, attested by the oath of fireblood, the justice granted his warrant, and Hartfree was accordingly apprehended and brought before him. When the officers came for this poor wretch, they found him meanly diverting himself with his little children, the younger of whom sat on his knees, and the elder was playing at a little distance from him with friendly. One of the officers, who was a very good sort of man, but one very laudably severe in his office, after acquainting Hartfree with his errand, bade him come along, and be d blank 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 d, and leave those little bastards, for so, he said, he supposed they were, for a legacy to the parish. Hartfree was much surprised at hearing there was a warrant for felony against him, but he showed less concern than Friendly did in his countenance. The elder daughter, when she saw the officer lay hold on her father, immediately quitted her play, and running to him, and bursting into tears, cried out, You shall not take poor papa! One of the other ruffians offered to take the little one rudely from his knees, but Hartfree started up, and catching the fellow by the collar, dashed his head so violently against the wall, that, had he had any brains, he might possibly have lost them by the blow. The officer, like most of those heroic spirits who insult men in adversity, had some prudence mixed with his zeal for justice. Seeing, therefore, this rough treatment of his companion, he began to pursue more gentle methods, and very civilly desired Mr. Hartfree to go with him, seeing he was an officer, and obliged to execute his warrant that he was sorry for his misfortune, and hoped he would be acquitted. The other answered he should patiently submit to the laws of his country, and would attend him, whither he was ordered to conduct him. Then, taking leave of his children with a tender kiss, he recommended them to the care of Friendly, who promised to see them safe home, and then to attend him at the justices, whose name and abode he had learned of the constable. Friendly arrived at the magistrate's house, just as that gentleman had signed the mitimus against his friend, for the evidence of fire-blood was so clear and strong, 
and the justice was so incensed against Hartfree, and so convinced of his guilt that he would hardly hear him speak in his own defence, which the reader, perhaps, when he hears the evidence against him, will be less inclined to censure, for this witness deposed that he had been, by Hartfree himself, employed to carry the orders of embezzling to Wilde, in order to be delivered to his wife, that he had been afterwards present with Wilde and her at the inn, when they took coach for Harwich, where she showed him the casket of jewels, and desired him to tell her husband that she had fully executed his command, and this he swore to have been done after Hartfree had notice of the commission, and in order to bring it within that time, Fireblood, as well as Wild, swore that Mrs. Hartfree lay several days concealed at Wild's house before her departure for Holland. When Friendly found the justice obdurate, and that all he could say had no effect, nor was it any way possible for Hartfree to escape being committed to Newgate, he resolved to accompany him thither, where, when they arrived, the turnkey would have confined Hartfree, he having no money, amongst the common felons. But Friendly would not permit it, and advanced every shilling he had in his pocket to procure a room in the press-yard for his friend, which, indeed, through the humanity of the keeper, he did at a cheap rate. They spent that day together, and in the evening the prisoner dismissed his friend, desiring him, after many thanks for his fidelity, to be comforted on his account. I know not, says he, how far the malice of my enemy may prevail, but whatever my sufferings are, I am convinced my innocence will somewhere be rewarded. If, therefore, any fatal accident should happen to me, for he who is in the hands of perjury may apprehend the worst, my dear friendly, be a father to my poor children. At which words the tears gushed from his eyes. The other begged him not to admit any such apprehensions, for that he would employ his utmost diligence in his service, and doubted not but to subvert any villainous design laid for his destruction, and to make his innocence appear to the world as white as it was in his own opinion. We cannot help mentioning a circumstance here, though we doubt it will appear very unnatural and incredible to our reader, which is that, notwithstanding the former character and behavior of Hartfree, this story of his embezzling was so far from surprising his neighbors that many of them declared they expected no better from him. Some were assured he could pay forty shillings in the pound, if he would. Others had overheard hints formerly passed between him and Mrs. Hartfree, which had given them suspicions. And what is most astonishing of all is that many of those who had before censured him for an extravagant, heedless fool, now no less confidently abused him for a cunning, tricking, avaricious knave.
End of Book 3, Chapter 12, read by Dennis Sayers in Modesto, California, for LibriVox.